Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a, another journey through the Scriptures, looking at this topic. We'll look at a number of Scriptures. And as we go, I want to emphasize that central point that the kingdom of God has already come. But I want to focus on three connected truths. First, that the kingdom has come and Satan's power has been crushed. The kingdom has come and Jesus has been crowned as king. The kingdom has come and so the great commission will be fulfilled. And if, you, if it helps to think of it in terms of crushed, crowned, and commissioned. So let's take time to look at that. First, Matthew 12, 22-29. Jesus is interacting here. And it says in verse 22, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless first he binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So notice these responses. As Jesus heals this man, delivers him from a demon, he's healed. Um, he can speak and see. First, the, those who are watching make that connection actually right away. Is this the son of David? Is this the king? Is this the Messiah? Has the kingdom come? That's what's going on in his audience. But the Pharisees oppose him. They say, no, it's just a demonic stunt. He's working in league with Satan to cast out Satan. And so Jesus comes against that. He answers that in, in a, a number of ways. But in it, he says, if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So if this is happening, the kingdom has come now. That's what he's saying. And then there's the related point here about Satan's kingdom, right? So you, you can't, I can't be from Satan because that would be his kingdom fighting his own kingdom. And, and instead, what I'm doing is I'm going into the strong man's house and plundering his goods. Unless he first binds the strong man. So Jesus is associating the coming of the kingdom and with, with healing and deliverance and, and so forth, but also with the binding of the strong man. And this is the connection I want us to get. That the kingdom has come and therefore Satan's power has been crushed. His authority has been crushed through Christ. Now we see this elsewhere, of course. Any major truth in Scripture is going to be common throughout Scripture. And so we see it also in Luke chapter 10. And now Jesus is sending His disciples out to do the same thing that He was doing. He commissions His disciples now to go out. And so in Luke 10 it says, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. 
Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. Speaking to his disciples. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So again, in this section, there's some things we can notice about the kingdom of God. They are to proclaim the kingdom of God as being near, as having come in the towns that they visit. And then uh, the other towns, Chorazin and, and Capernaum and Bethsaida, are judged because the kingdom of God has come to them in a powerful way, and they've rejected that. Then they come back and they're amazed that the demons are subject to them in Jesus' name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So he goes to the point of of identifying their authority with Satan being overcome. Satan falling from his place of authority and power. He falls like lightning from heaven. He's not able to dwell in the heavenlies with authority and power as he once did. Now this is elsewhere in Scripture. This idea that the kingdom has come and Satan has been crushed, his power and authority has been undone. Jesus says in John chapter 12, right before he's crucified, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Colossians 2 tells us he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. A parallel passage is in Revelation 12. I think best understood in light of what we're talking about. And it says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, the dragon being a symbol for Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So he's cast out of heaven. He's cast from his prominent place of power and authority. Now understand, it doesn't mean he doesn't have any power. But he doesn't have determinative power. He doesn't have power to do as he pleases to rule the nations. He's been cast down. The kingdom of God has come. And in Hebrews 2, similarly, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, partook of the same things that through death, his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
So Jesus' death, his life is death, his resurrection and his reign is about overthrowing his enemies and overthrowing Satan and his power through death. So I want you to see through these scriptures, and there's others you could look at, I want you to be convinced actually that the kingdom has come already. And that part of that is Satan's power and authority being crushed. He does not have the jurisdiction he once had. He doesn't have the ability to do what he once could do. The kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of Satan. And we have that authority from Christ. The kingdom has come. There's victory over Satan already. We don't live in a dualistic world. We live in a world where Jesus reigns. And His kingdom has come. And is far greater than anything Satan might do. Though he is here, though he is active, he doesn't have authority anywhere like what we have in Christ. The kingdom has come and Satan's power has been crushed. And this is so important to get, brothers and sisters. We need to understand this reality and live in it. Otherwise, we'll live in fear. We'll we'll engage the world in fear. we, We won't want to go on mission. We'll be afraid of the future. We'll be afraid of things like pandemics. We'll be caught up in the tumult of circumstances wondering what will happen and where is God. The kingdom has come already and He reigns and rules. In the 1998 film A Bug's Life, if you've seen it, a peaceful colony of ants are terrorized by evil grasshoppers. Anyone see A Bug's Life, the 98 version? The evil grasshoppers are led by Hopper, fittingly named, and all the ants are afraid of the grasshoppers and, and flinchingly do all that they ask. Year after year, they, they gather a harvest to give to the grasshoppers. But one ant named Flick pushes back by accident at first, and he gets exiled for resisting the grasshoppers. He eventually leads the ants to finally overthrow the evil yoke of the grasshoppers. And it's a wonderful conclusion to the movie. They, they overthrow that. And much of it is just simple fear. They lived in fear of the grasshoppers rather than recognizing they didn't have to submit to that old way. And so the grasshoppers are kicked out and Hopper gets eaten by a bird. Sorry. Um, and they are free and prosperous after that. Sorry if you never saw the movie. I just ruined it. Similarly, Satan would have us live under fear thinking that he is still in control, fearing death, thinking that he can somehow do things to us. But Christ has come and dethroned him through his death and resurrection. We have a great Savior in King, and we can live in this King and advance the kingdom of God. He might do his best to resist us, but he will never win. Christ has dethroned him, And we live in this new reality under the authority of the King, under Jesus, who overcame sin and death. We needn't fear what others might fear. So what what does that mean for our lives? Well, first that, first and foremost, we are to live fearlessly. Not afraid of even death. Death may take us may take our bodies, but it will never take away our life. We needn't fear anything, even 
death. We don't need to fear what the world fears. We do not need to fear Satan and his schemes. Christ has crushed him and now rules and reigns over all things for our good and for his purposes. We should be unafraid to attempt to serve the kingdom. Unafraid to take reasonable risks to advance the cause of the kingdom. Not thinking, oh no, this won't work. Oh no, something bad will happen if I take this risk. We should be unafraid and bold, taking reasonable risks. Indeed, they should be reasonable. But to advance the kingdom because the king is in control and he has overcome the evil one. We needn't fear. We should be unafraid to give our time and talents through the life and mission of the local church, through, through the connections we have where we live. And if God calls us elsewhere to do the same, beyond this place. We needn't hoard things in life, but fearlessly invest our resources into that which is eternal. Because Satan has been crushed, we can live this way. The kingdom has come already. Second, the kingdom of God has come already and Christ has been crowned. Now these things are all connected, but I want you to see the, the idea and the importance of Him having been crowned. In Acts chapter 1, you probably read about His ascension. His ascension actually is a, an ascension to the throne. It's a coronation that's going on. And, and so let's take a look and see that. Acts chapter 1. He's been talking with the disciples about the kingdom. And they say in verse 6, So when the, they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. He's taken up into a cloud. And He's going to come back on a cloud. This connects with what is said elsewhere in Scripture that this is sending on a cloud and coming on a cloud. So, so, so He goes on a cloud. He's going to come back on a cloud. Is how the Son of Man, God's appointed ruler, comes. And so Jesus says during His trial to, to Caiaphas, the high priest, you have said so, when he asked him, are you the Christ? You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man, the God-Man, has taken up His place on the throne. He has been crowned the King. He is reigning and ruling now. And so Peter says in Acts 2, as he's preaching the Gospel, he talks about this. He says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 1 Corinthians 15. He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under His feet. All connected. He's reigning and ruling to put His enemies under His feet actively. 
Paul wants the new believers in Ephesus to get this when he writes to them because they live in a world that's full of the occult. All sorts of spiritual darkness all around them. And, and if they didn't know this truth, perhaps they would be like, like the ants in Bugs Life, fearful. And so he says this in Ephesians 1, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And then he says, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, this is the power you have in Jesus. The reigning King reigns for you. Then He goes on, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. In His reign, in His sitting at the right hand on the throne, He reigns and rules for the church. For the life and mission of the church. And so Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 3, so let no one boast in men for all things are yours. Speaking to the Corinthians. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. A profound truth. He rules over all things. He is seated at the right hand of God on His throne, ruling over His kingdom for the sake of His church, so that all things that He has authority over, everything in heaven and on earth, is used for you. For the life and mission of His church. For the sake of His church. Now you might be thinking, okay, I don't see this. When I look around my own life, I see bad things happening to me, a believer. I see bad things happening to other people who are believers. I see bad things in this world. Why is there still suffering if He's reigning? Why is there evil? Why do untruths and half-truths seem to rule the day? What's going on? Where is Jesus on the throne in all this? That's a really important question. A really good question. First, I want you to be convinced that the Scripture teaches that He is on the throne and He does rule over all things. So whether you or I can figure this out, it is true. The Word of God needs to be our authority, not our ability to figure it out. Nevertheless, we're made to reason. We're made in the image of God. And so it's something to wrestle through and ask God of. He's given us His Word. And as I search through the Word of God, there are actually many answers to this. But let me briefly give you three that I think are really important understand in light of that question, that good question. How does the reign of Christ, which is absolute, reconcile with evil still existing? Well, first, the kingdom of God is being displayed on earth through people overcoming 
suffering, and evil. That's part of the plan. That's what Jesus did Himself, right? He's the Son of God. He's come to earth as a full human and God Himself. And yet, He's subject to suffering and evil. And why? Was that plan B? No, it was plan A. And through that, to demonstrate the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God overcomes the worst that this world might throw at us. It's greater than this world. And so there's, there's an aspect of this that suffering is necessary in God's plan to demonstrate the kingdom. So when, you're suff- when you suffer, you're not outside the kingdom. You're in the kingdom. You're demonstrating the king's reign that he's greater than the suffering. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Secondly, God has designed that the church would be the means to bring the gospel to all the nations. He commissioned imperfect humans in an imperfect church to carry forth the great commission to go to the world to bring the gospel. It's a means dependent on humanity. And so He's chosen to do this. And so it's in His sovereignty, but through this means of of imperfect humans, It's not happened on the time scale. Maybe it would happen. He's allowed the church to wrestle and struggle. He's chosen to use the church to bring the mission, to bring the gospel to the world. And he won't come back to fulfill the fullness of the kingdom until that work is done. Now, he's totally sovereign over that. He has design in all of it. But from the human vantage point, that's part of the delay until the gospel goes to all peoples. I would submit until there are vibrant churches in all ethnic groups, subgroups throughout the world, he's not going to come back and finish the job. Thirdly, and related to the first one, but somewhat distinctly, he uses suffering not only to demonstrate the kingdom of God, but to work in us Christ-likeness. It's part of his plan of how he works in us the image of Christ. Evil and suffering being brought to our lives and as we struggle through these things have a unique ability to sanctify us. To make us understand what Jesus is like. To make us understand what His priorities are. Sometimes we suffer because we want things too much. And we learn through suffering that we don't necessarily need those things. Even our very lives because we have Christ. And so, suffering has a powerful ability to sanctify us. So it is not by accident that we're in a world full of these things. The kingdom is still here. And part of the design of God is to work even through these things. So I want you to ground yourself on that assurance and know that He's in control and working His will. He's not loosened His grip when we face evil, when we're perplexed by circumstances. It isn't because somehow He's off the throne. He's working His plan. We might not understand the details, but we can trust Him. So fear not. And fret not. Set your eyes on the King who has overcome and will overcome you. Look at every trial you face as a tool in His wise and loving hands to work deep and eternal purposes in your life for which you will have no regrets when you go to heaven. 
As Luther said, you will wish that you had more trials so that you would have been formed even more into the image of Christ and even more glorified Him. He is working in you to form Christ in you and to glorify His name and demonstrate the kingdom and extend the kingdom. Isn't that what we're seeing in the lives of these missionaries we've been studying? Suffering for the sake of the kingdom. This truth should make us look at hardships differently. To see what God is doing, though we may not understand. May our eyes be set on the King and to trust His sovereign hand. I want to be like my good friend, John Mark. John was a part of the church plant and was with us until 2009 and then he got terminal cancer. On his deathbed at 43, he was leaving behind his wife and all his dreams. John had dreamed about being part of our first church plant. He would have loved to have been part of the plant to Manchester. As he was on that deathbed though, dying and all those things fading away, his last words that he repeated over and over again were, it's better this way. I want to be like John. Though I might not understand what's happening and I might feel like it didn't turn out how I expected. May I be able to put my eyes on the king like he did May all of us do the same and say, Jesus, I don't understand, but I know it's better this way. May we live like that and die like my friend John, confident in the King on the throne. Finally, the kingdom has come already. The Great Commission will be fulfilled. Take a look with me at Matthew 16 and 28. He says in Matthew 16 to Peter and the disciples, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then jumping ahead, Matthew 28. Matthew 16 in mind. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are tied together. Jesus promises to build His church. And He promises to build His church and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This doesn't mean that the church was somehow able to withstand defensively the assault of the gates of hell. No. Gates are a stable thing. This is the church going in to hell. Rescuing spiritually dead people through the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing dead people to life and bringing them out of Hades, out of the land of the dead, out of the land of spiritual darkness. The gates of hell will not prevail as the mission advances. People who are dead spiritually will come alive. And will understand the gospel where before they were resistant to it. This room is full of such people. I remember before I knew the Lord, I mocked these things. 
But when the Lord in His time decided to work, all of a sudden the Gospel was wonderful and glorious and sweet. My eyes were open. I had been spiritually dead. And then I was alive. And that's what He's doing. On the proclamation that Peter brought, on the truth of who Jesus is, it's the proclamation that we build on as Peter proclaims it. He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then the church is to have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Well, the church is the steward of the means to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom of God comes through experiencing the truth of the gospel and new life. And we steward that both in our proclamation and in church discipline, recognizing genuine believers are added to the body of Christ wherever they might be locally. So there's a stewardship of the keys because of the gospel, because of our responsibility. The kingdom of God advances. And so Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations. What are disciples? Christians. People that have been made alive though they once were dead. They, the disciples are the building blocks of, of the structure of the church. The church is a building metaphorically. We're, we're, the, we're the stones. We're the pillars. We're the, the two-by-fours of the church. Disciples. So he's not saying go make individual disciples and whatever they do doesn't matter. No. You make disciples. You proclaim the Gospel. You baptize them. And you teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Being part of a local church. Being part of that. Walking with Christ. Trusting Christ. Growing in Christ. Making Christ known. Continuing the mission of fulfilling the Great Commission. So this is all tied together. The Kingdom of God has come. Therefore, the Great Commission will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. And it's fulfilled as churches like ours alongside other churches throughout the globe and throughout time live under His reign and rule. Image Christ in who we are corporately and individually. Reach our area. Love people. And in the day-to-day and in programmatic things, whatever we can do, we are to be a living witness to this area as we trust in Christ. And we are to send people, be part of sending people to unreached areas. The kingdom of God has come. This commission will be fulfilled. And so we are part of advancing it here locally. And, and I tell my children, I would tell the, the younger generation, you guys, though you may feel like the wheels are coming off in our culture, you live at the most exciting time in history. There are things happening. Though there is trouble happening, there are things happening now in terms of the Great Commission and the Gospel and the people of God that are astounding. Astounding. We planted King Grace in 2002. When we planted, there were hardly any church plants at all. And I could count on one hand even the churches that that were aware of the importance of of gospel centrality and these, these different truths. And there's been massive change in that in the past 19 years. Churches have been planted. There are so many good churches that are preaching the gospel around us. A thousand net churches were added to New England between 1980 and 2010. A thousand net. That counts the ones that folded. 
the net, the total was 1,000 added over those 20 years. That's amazing. And, and I don't have the stats on 2010 to now, but, but I'd say it, it's half that at least, if not that number as well. Today, in many towns and cities in New England, there are gospel-loving churches within easy driving distance. In the city of Boston, we lived in the city back in the, in the 90s, the 80s and the 90s, there were hardly any gospel-preaching churches, particularly among English-speaking congregations. And now there is probably one in every village of the city. There's still lots of work to do, though. But I would say that the, the Christian population, the, the, the gospel-loving population in New England has probably doubled since 2002. And that's a miracle. The Great Commission continues. We are seeing people from the Muslim world come to Christ on a scale that, that, that our brothers and sisters a thousand years ago would, would never have imagined. There are probably millions of people, people from Muslim backgrounds, encountering Christ in dreams. And it's an interesting, as you hear the dreams, they're, they're never told the gospel through the dream. They're told to go talk to a, somebody at a local church or a local believer. It just ties in with his, his commitment to use the local church. And they'll go to these local churches and hear, hear the gospel and come to Christ. In Iran right now, there, there's just a, a phenomenon going on of, of an awakening of more people coming to Christ in Iran than, than in, in the past 20 years than in the past 1,300 years combined. China has gone from 4 million Christians in 1949 to 67 million or more. Some, some people estimate it's more like 200 million. Africa has gone from 9 million Christians in 1900 to 380 million. Nepal gone from 1950 no Christians to 1.5 million Christians today. Most of them, 90% coming to Christ in the past 20 years or less. Jesus is reigning. The kingdom has come. The Great Commission is being fulfilled. So much has gone on. And I hope this is, encourages you to lift your eyes up and to see the King on His throne and what He's doing. He's advancing the Gospel. He's winning the peoples throughout the world. He's reaching all the nations through His church. There are 17,000 distinct people groups in the world. There still remain over 7,000 that don't yet have a viable church. And we are connected to work going on in Nepal. If you could show the next the map of Nepal. I just want you guys to be aware of this. So I got to visit Nepal some years ago. We support a, a family that's there, being part of the mission um, in Nepal. Nepal has the highest density of unreached people groups of any country. It's, so Nepal is not a very large country, just northeastern India, just separate country, northeast of India. 275 of the 285 people groups in Nepal are unreached. Next slide. One of the groups is the Faru people. They number, I believe, over around 2 million. They're gracious. They're a vulnerable people. They live in the lowlands of Nepal. They've been there for a long time. They actually have a genetic resistance or immunity to malaria. Uh, it's amazing. They have no viable Christian witness, very few believers, but our friends in Nepal under the king and for the kingdom 
are reaching the Tharu people and many others. If you can show the next slide, please. That's a picture uh, that I was able to be in when I was there with pastor, one of the pastors there. And those people with him, uh, most of them are Tharu people that have been reached for Christ and are being raised up as leaders. They're all very young, you can tell. But God is doing some amazing things. And if you could show that last slide. It's a wonderful privilege to be part of that. And so our friend and his family, um, I can tell you the name and so forth offline, but our friend and his family are there. They've moved there. They're serving. They're training leaders. They're sending people out into these unreached people groups to be part of fulfilling the Great Commission. It's very exciting, guys, to be part of what's going on there. The king is on his throne. The kingdom has come and the Great Commission is being fulfilled. We might see it fulfilled in our lifetime, but there's still lots of work to do. So let me ask you, in light of this, to do a few things. In light of this truth, in light of the Great Commission being fulfilled, would you stay close to Jesus so that as you walk with Him, you could enjoy life in Him, but also find yourself useful in whatever purpose He has for you. Holiness has two great benefits. It keeps us close to the Lord and it keeps us knowing the, the, the joy of His nearness. And secondly, it keeps us useful. When we fail to walk closely to Jesus, we miss opportunities. So would you keep yourself close to Jesus for that sake? For the sake of the mission? For the sake of what He wants to do in and through this local church? Would you do that, all of us? Would you do that, young people? Because you face maybe particular pressures there. But you are the future of this church. And you more than anyone else are probably the ones who will lead us in mission here locally and overseas. Would you keep close to Jesus? Would you pray and serve alongside your brothers and sisters here in the mission He calls us to locally? Our ability to fill the mission locally and overseas depends on you, the means that God would use. Would you also, King of Grace, brothers and sisters, consider going to other countries to serve? Many of you have already gone, maybe just for two weeks. There are a number of worthy mission agencies that we can help you be a part of. But not just two weeks, maybe two years, maybe a lifetime. The King is on His throne. The Great Commission is being fulfilled. And can you, King of Grace, pray for those who go and support them financially? We currently support three families overseas. And I'd love to see us grow our budget. We actually support, we, we spend about 20% of our budget on mission, both local throughout the United States and overseas. I would love to spend half of our budget on mission. Would you give generously and pray for this cause? The kingdom has come. The Great Commission is being fulfilled. The kingdom has come. The, the king has been crowned. 
The kingdom has come. Satan has been crushed. And the kingdom is growing. I hope this has helped you understand these things. I hope it has inspired you to live in the reality of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You reign and You rule. You've overcome. You're on the throne. You're ruling for our sake, for the life and mission of Your whole church and for this small local church. We're grateful. Use us, Lord. Grant us boldness. Lift up our eyes above the things that would take us down to trust in You and to serve You. Stir us up. Send us out in this place and beyond, we pray, for the glory of Your name and eternal glory. In Christ's name, Amen.